Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. I'm going back because um, I'm, I'm picking up on something. And these weeks before starting the series, I, I love these weeks because it's a chance for me just to get to talk about things that are, are a backlog and things I want to talk about. And, um, uh, and so today is one of those. And there, there are things that I share is I disciple others, and this is a critical one for me. Um, the question was asked to me, uh, again, this, this past couple of weeks, what is most critical to growing in Christ? What is most critical to growing in Christ? <clears throat> well, I would say a life of worship, but we're going to talk about that. But then you have to ask the question, well, what is worship? Well, we understand here that worship is from the old English word, we are skypen, and then as we go to Scripture and we read the Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek terms that describe what worship is, uh, we, we see lots of actions, but at the end of the day, worship is coming and giving my all to God so that my worth might be shaped by him. Think of us, as the prophet would write, as a piece of clay in the hand of the master potter who's shaping us into the vessel he would have us to be to contain, let me, let me mix metaphors here, to contain the wonder uh, of the fountain of the Holy Spirit and the actions of the, and the force of the kingdom of God. But it is him who is shaping us to his pleasure, for his will. For what purpose? So that we might be all that he made us to be. That is what worship is about. But there's a critical question that I don't get to talk about a lot. I do talk about it individually in discipleship. How do you get to worship? In other words, how do you get there? Romans chapter 12 talks about worship Often when we think of worship, we think of music and singing and gathering on Sunday. As a matter of fact, so often um, on the Facebook pages where I'm interacting with pastors and other believers, the question will come up once every few weeks. It just seems to come up again and again and again. What's the difference between worship and praise? And very often you'll find people answering it in, in, through the lens of music. In other words, worship is slow music, praise is fast music. If I could just alter offer a, a, a different uh, definition of that. Worship is the life we live. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is your reasonable service of worship. Beloved, worship is the life we live. Now, worship is what we do here, but worship is the life we live. And may I suggest to you that praise, then, is an act of worship. Praise is what we do, whether it's kneeling, praying, uplifted hands, singing songs, whether they're slow or fast. See, we've, we've reduced it in some circles where, um, where worship is songs sung at 78 beats per minute and praise or songs sung at 120 beats per minute. And that's not the difference. Worship is the life we live. Praise are, is one of the things we do as a pointed and subjective act of worship. But how do you get to worship? Listen. Whether it's a song sung here, hands lifted, kneeling, bowing, praying, encouraging, <clears throat> or the life we live, what is the one single constant that gets me to a life of worship? Now, if worship is when the presence of him overwhelms the image of me, now why is that important? Because when the presence of him, now I've got these up here, I'd like for you to put the words in your mouth. Would you say that that's on the screen? Worship. 
when the presence of him overwhelms the image of me. Now that's important because see, I've never, since being here, I've never gotten to do a series on the 10 commandments and I'd love to because I would retitle that series, the 10 prohibitions to worship. God warns them. He says, you'll have no, the first one is you'll have no image before me. Well, see, we don't, we don't make images out of wood and, and gold and silver and place them around our house. Some worship systems do, but we don't. But the image we most often kneel before is the image of me, and especially in the Western culture. And so the question is, what image do we bow before? Worship is the, when the presence of him overwhelms my image of me. Now, what, that, that still sounds a little vague. We'll get there. But how does this worship happen? I'm glad you asked. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at some select verses. Now, I'm going to skip by verses 1 and 2 and go straight to 3. Uh, Amanda, I know I sent you all of them, but let's start. This verse, this chapter, is about Jesus Christ and about how, listen closely, how Jesus Christ affected or accomplished the mission of bringing God back to people or us back to God. And by the way, for any of you that, that got up early during the 21 days in the book of John, you'll, you'll notice that I intersected with a, with a teacher uh, named Baxter Kruger, on, and particularly the 17th chapter of John, and then I had the opportunity to have about a two-hour conversation with this guy who I'd never met and couldn't believe I, I had the conversation But here's something that he says that I so deeply love. He said, we typically teach that getting saved is about asking Jesus into my heart. He says, when the Bible really doesn't say that, he says, we're trying to get Jesus into us when Jesus said my mission was to get you in me. Read John 17. It really is inarguable. Salvation is when we accept the, 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 the invitation that Jesus prayed in John 17. When he's going out to be arrested and he turns. And that entire chapter is a prayer. And he says, Father, I've come and be glorified in me and through me. So that, uh, that, that they may know that you're in me and I'm in you and, and they're in me. And Lord, just make them in us. And it's this beautiful crescendo of a prayer where he's saying, this is what my mission was about, Father. And when I die on the cross, may it open up the door so that they can be in us. They lost that on the last day of Eden. Lord, you sent me here, Father, to get it back, to seek and save that. Everybody say that. That which was lost and that which was lost was a daily encounter where they were in God and God in them. Praise God. Look at somebody next to you and say, he wants you in him. Now, arguably, the Apostle Paul has a key phrase of Christ in us, but it is not either or, it's both and. Enough said. Okay, so this chapter two is about how Jesus Christ accomplished that mission. It is the handbook. Jesus Christ came to recover and restore lost worship. Worship is what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Forgive me for not having the time to be able to rebuild that. But um, I'll be glad to send you a document on worship that's about 40 pages long that I wrote. It will be retitled at some point into a book entitled, that is titled Unhidden. And that will make sense when you read it. That, that's what worship is. But I'll be glad to send that to you. But what happens that is Jesus comes, look, listen closely. And he essentially says, I'm going to show you what worship is. Instead of writing it on stone, instead of writing it on pages, instead of putting it in words, he essentially says, watch me, I'll go first. 
and he goes to the cross. And it's important because in the discipleship, he says to him, he says, this is the life of Christ in discipleship, that you take up your cross daily, that you die daily and follow me daily. What is that? It is where the image of him, the presence of him, overwhelms my image of me. Did you know that that's the single greatest battle? What would happen if we had worship in our marriages? Just stop right there. Forget our workplace. What would happen if the next argument, um, the, uh, the, next, the, the next debate, the next discussion we have, what would happen if it was filled with worship in the image of him rather than my need to preserve the image of me? The last, uh, the last argument I can recall really wasn't an argument uh, with my wife. It was about 10 days ago or two weeks ago. Uh, matter of fact, it was the same day we had... We shot those videos. Same day. Same day. We shot those videos. And I turned around and I said something snotty. And you've heard me say to you publicly, I've never used the excuse, man, I didn't mean to say that. I mean to say everything that comes out my mouth. Everything. That doesn't mean it's good. And nor does it mean I don't apologize. Matter of fact, I'm the best apologizer on the planet. I seem to create lots of opportunities. But... When I need to apologize, can I tell you what I'm apologizing for? I just projected the image of me above the image of him. Every time. Every time. Every time. I just projected the image of me. And boy, can I do it. I'm good with words. She's really smart. She is really smart, but I talk faster. And I'll give her 10 words to think about before she's gotten her one out. Now, now the the thing is, is she takes a minute, and I've learned that when we're discussing things. By the way, here's a free, uh, one of our expert marital things. We picked up this phrase many years ago. When we're talking and we're not getting each other, we say this. And we laugh when we employ it because whenever this mechanism comes from our mouth, we know what the other one's doing. Okay, what I hear you saying is, matter of fact, if you're here with your spouse, Just turn and practice it. You can say it at the same time. Look at them and say, okay, what I hear you saying is, come on, do it. Just practice it one time. Now, whenever we we hit a roadblock, most of the time we'll we'll, we'll say, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Now, we've been married 40 years. We work at it. I'm crazy about her. We really do have a, a, a great marriage. But that's amazing. At those points, what I hear you saying is when we clarify that. But at the points we crash and burn, I have just projected the image of me above the image of him, period. Every time, okay? Now, so look at the person next to you and say, please pray for Pastor Brenda, all right? Now, here we go. Having said that, this is perfect. Verse three, this is how Jesus accomplished worship in restoring it to us and the cross. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as uh, more important than yourselves. Now, let me see affection and compassion. Here we go. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. See, you really don't need to preach this because it says it. But if you want to go back real quickly, if you're looking at your own Bible, do you see the word empty in verse 3? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. It really is a little poetic ploy. Everybody say empty. Hold on to that thought for a minute. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in in the form of godliness, did not regard equality with uh, with God a thing to be grasped. Here comes verse 7. But did what? Anybody remember where you just saw that word one time before it, and it is the same word? 
in both languages? You saw it in verse 3. It says, listen, listen, listen. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. See, the moment you do something with selfish, trying to fill yourself up, you leave yourself empty and hollow. Anybody ever been there? You want me to just keep using my own example of personal stupidness? One nanosecond after, who said yes? (laughs) My wife said yes? I thought so, that's why I stopped. I thought, I recognize that voice. Would you like me to use Brenda as an example? No, okay, the, uh, use me as an example. The moment that I say those words, I just got full of myself and filled myself up with myself. But everybody listen to me. How many know the moment you fill yourself up with yourself, what is there not room for? God. That's why Paul said, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And God's saying, well, right now, Tom, you're so full of yourself, there's not much room for me. Here's the thing that's not included in this outline. Here's the choice. We can either empty ourselves or God will empty ourselves. Either way, he wants us to get empty of ourselves so he can put something else in there. There's a lot more that can be said about this wonderful word, kenosis, okay? Let's see. He emptied himself. Verse 7, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Now, I've got to finish reading here. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled. Everybody say humble. Humbled himself by becoming obedient. Everybody say obedient. obedient. To the point of death. There's three key words there. Humility, obedience, and death. I'm not going to hang out here, taught on this a lot. You can, humility, obedience, and death. You can measure the preceding word by the second one. Let that sink in. Well, am I being humble? Ask yourself if you're being obedient. Well, I don't know. Am I being obedient? Are you dying to yourself? Obedience always requires death to self. So humility at the end of the day, okay, Humility requires obedience, (laughs) requires, excuse me, obedience and death to self. They travel together. They travel together always. And of course, Jesus did that in the literal sense when he died on the cross. Now, as we take up our cross daily, we are emptying ourselves. Now, I I don't need to finish from there. There's a favorite verse we pray all the time. But um, now notice if chapter 2 is humility... It's located in a real cool place. It's located in between two confidence chapters. Watch. Paul makes the statement in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Where is our confidence found? In the work of Christ Jesus in me. What could be the possible prohibition? Everybody say, that's the promise. Everybody say it again. Say, that's the promise. promise. Chapter 3 is the prohibition. Okay? Um, Matter of fact, just earlier, uh, Hans was talking about prohibition. I was waiting for him to finish his illustration because his mother is the sister to Rick Maples. And I'm sitting there thinking him using a family illustration about walking through the front side of a speakeasy into a flower shop. And he said, and that's where you'd see my mother. Then you go to the back door, slide it open, and ask for entrance. And that's where you'd see my uncle. <clears throat> and raise your hand and say amen, brother. Yeah, he'll tell you that testimony. I'm, I'm thinking, you, just, you have all of that wrapped up in one big family story. You know, it, it really works. And that's a fun story I'll chase later. Okay? But... <clears throat> In between, he says, I am confident 
that the work of Christ will be able to do this. But see, the other side, the prohibition to that, is in chapter 3. Listen at verses 2 through 4. This is still Paul speaking. And, and the, the opening statement about beware of the dogs, he's talking about uh, Judaizers, and I don't have time to really talk about that. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, because, beware of the false circumcision. That's what all three of those statements talk about. Because it's part of the sentence, I included it. Verse 3, for we're the true circumcision. We, here it comes, who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Here it comes. And put no confidence in the flesh. Everybody say confidence. Although I myself might have what? Come on, look at the screen. Although I myself may have, there we go. Even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Watch. Chapter one, he mentions confidence as the promise. He says, we can have confidence in Christ. Chapter three, he mentions the prohibition. What will keep us from finding confidence in Christ, he says, is confidence in ourselves. And mostly that's where you hear about what is postured right between those is the pathway to where we find confidence in Christ. And what is that? Humility. We're going to get there. Now, let me review. Worship is when the presence of him overwhelms my image of me or he shapes my worth. Watch this. Humility. You see it on the screen? Would you read it with me? When my want of him exceeds the need to preserve the image of me. See, worship can't happen without humility. You say, I, you know, worship is when the presence of him exceeds the image of me. That is never a forced reality. It is always an invited reality. Always has been, always will. Beyond that, we'll be banging heads with God, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But when my want of him exceeds the need to preserve the image of me. Everyone look at me for a minute. If you think that humility, or I like the King James word, meekness is weakness, you're mistaken. The strongest people on the planet are humble people because the strongest people on the planet, listen to me, in order to accomplish worship, you must win the battle of yourself. And there's no no more formidable foe than yourself. The strongest people on the planet, see, would have happened because the Holy Spirit was talking to me the other day when I said the stupid thing. He's always talking. But there's sometimes I say, can you just step aside? I got this. That's right when stupid happens. That's right when I advance the image of me above the presence of him. Because I can't say I didn't have any choice but to say that. You know another thing I don't say? I don't ever say to her, you made me do that. Last time I checked, there was one person that made me and God claimed the credit for that. She didn't make me. God made me. I don't know that he takes credit for everything that comes out of that all all the time. But God made me. I, I, I've just removed that because if I say, here's why, and it really is, you're going to really get how shallow I am. Everybody ready? I don't ever say in my marriage, you made me do that because I determined a long time ago, I wasn't going to give anybody the power to make my choices. And so I'm going to own it. If I do something stupid, I'm, you made me do that. See, watch this. I've told you this before, but listen, I'll, in marriage counseling, you may not want to come see me for marriage counseling. You need to. You need to, because I've done just about every stupid thing that can be done. So you need to hear the journal of a stupid guy that can help you out, husbands especially. But for instance, I'm just going to cast the husband in sort of the narcissistic role. You've heard me do this before. That's not always the case, but it is a lot of the time. 
And where a lot of times uh, the, the wife in this particular illustration will be sitting there sort of quiet. The husband's over talking her. She tries to talk, but he interrupts her and does this. It says, well, if she do this and she do that, usually about 10 minutes into that type of scenario, I will always look at him and say, you know, you need to just leave the room. He said, why? I said, well, because I need to speak to the person that has the power. You said, she makes you do that. Because she does this, you have to do that. Because she does this, you don't have any choice. Because your power, you don't have any power, bro. I need to talk to her so you can leave. At that moment, something begins to turn. Well, 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 no. It's clearly I need to speak to the strongest person in this relationship. And it's clearly her. Because she controls everything you do according to you. Things begin to turn right about that moment. Because they're not looking for worship, but they don't want to give up masculinity. Please hear me. I'll saddle any horse I can ride into the presence of God, even if it's their own pride, because God will flick them off it by the time they get there. So if they'll stay in the room with me, say, well, 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 that's not what I meant. I say, great, then let's start a different conversation here. That means you have power too, right? Everybody get where I'm going with that? See, that's part of that expert stuff you're going to receive if you come to the XO Marriage Conference, okay? Uh, as a matter of fact, you can come with a question on the card, and you can dress them all to me. Say, Pastor Tom, you seem to be so entirely educated at doing stupid stuff. Have you ever done this one? Okay, uh, just come with those questions, and I can answer them and fix all your problems. Now, if the goal is confidence in him and the problem is confidence in me, what's the, where do I pass? And again, it's in humility. When my want of him exceeds the need to preserve the image of me. I'm almost done here. Listen, humility affects the speed at which worship is realized in my life. There's one statement I'm going to ask you to write down that I never had come to my mind or out of my lips until this morning. And I'm going to ask you to write this down and take it home with you because I'm going to add it to my little worship diary stuff. Worship happens at the speed of humility. Say that back to me. Are you connecting the dots with that one? Are you? Okay, if worship is when the presence of him overwhelms the image of me, and if the only way that that happens is when I decide that I want the presence of him above the image of me, that is worship, beloved. That's where worship happens in here. You say, well, how does that happen in here? It happens in here when someone says, let's lift our hands and worship. And you say, well, I I didn't grow up that way. I don't care. I'm, I'm having to learn a dance that we do with the kids. I'm practicing it in private since I danced so horribly. We started, we started opening up our youth services on, on, on Wednesday night with a song called Church Clap. As a matter of fact, I had Jessica uh, Sheely out seeing if we can get 20 of the kids to come and participate in the prayer and worship tonight. And if they do, we're going to open up that way for you. I haven't learned the dance yet and my back hurts, so give a brother a break, okay? But I'm having to learn that. And why am I having to learn that? It's because I look so stupid when I dance, but I love the look on their faces when they're dancing and worshiping God and singing a song, and and there's a song unto the glory of him. I want to be part of that. And and listen to me. You say, well, why would you want to do that? Because I can easily answer, I am 62 years old in just a few weeks, and that is not who I am. Everybody got that? Do we ever have the right to say that? Okay. The answer is no. Watch. Because worship is all about, I've said this so many times, making you not who you am. You wouldn't be worshiping God if you were good with who you am when you found Jesus. I'm good the way I am. No, you weren't good. None of us were good. We needed him because the way I, I am and the way you am, am not good enough. And so I need the I am to make me like he am so I can quit being the way I am. Anybody talking to get that? That's what worship is. So here's what you get every Sunday. 
When somebody says, let's sing that song. Or even like this, see that I get quoted on this one. I turn and say to somebody, that's not what I do. I don't care. The Bible says, encourage one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual wrong. Let the songs, let the word of God dwell richly into it. Speak it to one another. So when we turn to bless one another encouragement, it's an act of worship. And here's the deal. If God can say, well, God, that's not the way I am. He says, great. Here's another opportunity to worship. Worship happens at the speed of humility. Why? Because humility is when the want of him exceeds the need to preserve the image of me. Worship never happens, but that humility takes place. I'm going to say it again because that's a wow to me. Worship will happen in my marriage at the speed of humility. Worship will happen in your workplace at the speed of humility. I've talked to more people, a matter of fact, two or three people just in the last two, three weeks, the same thing. And I'm just wondering, I don't have an answer, but they've gone through two or three different jobs and it seems like they keep running into the same person, the same type of person at every next job. And my thought is, hmm, is God trying to teach them something here? Because they keep running into that same person at the next job. So what happens if I can worship what will happen? It's when I will say, I want the presence of him above the image of me in my life. Are we getting this? I know I'm saying it over and over, but it is critical. It's critical to spiritual life. It's critical to how we drive in traffic. If anybody can drive in severe traffic and an act of worship, dear Jesus, I will bow before you. Really, I have to repent on a daily basis. I mean it. I mean, because I'm going, and, and granted, enough said. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I will. I'm preaching about me. I'll give me somebody else to talk about. I'm, um, I'm beating my own self up. All right. Worship is what informs my worth. Therefore, the, uh, you know, worship happens at the speed of humility. Man, every time I say that, um, now, okay, watch, watch, watch. If humility is accepting the image of him above the need of the presence of him, above the need to preserve the image of me. I have another working definition. Humility is when I accept the opinion of him, his opinion of me above my opinion of me. So what in is pride? Just think about it. We flip it on its head. If pride's the opposite of humility, and it's safe to say it is, what is that? Pride is the moment that I advance the opinion, my opinion of me above his opinion of me. Woo! Which, according to Scripture, leaves me what? Judged. God says, you bring judgment on yourself. Judgment is the state where God pulls back and says, I will allow your opinion to prevail over mine. That's all that judgment is. That's all it will be at the end of the age when people go to hell and are separate from God. Do we get that? The judgment is not what God does to us. It is allowing us for our, it's simply allowing my opinion to prevail. How many here, don't raise your hand to this. If you are miserable, a good starting place is looking in the mirror. Now, let me finish with this. I I love these because these are ones I read to myself. When we humble ourselves, it's worship. How many know that? Everybody see that? Now, there's a whole bunch of words on the screen, but I'm going to say them to you. When we humble ourselves, it's worship. When God humbles us, it's discipline. Go read Hebrews 12 and 13. The purpose of discipline is to lead us to worship always. Let me just insert something. If that's true, parents, think about that. Is the purpose of discipline of your children to lead them to a higher source of worth and place of worth? There's not a parent here who will say, no, man, discipline is just because you can't. I get to beat the stuffing out of them. There's not a parent here who would say that. And God certainly doesn't say that. Discipline is for purposes of leading us to a new place of worth always. 
I don't want to say it again. When we humble ourselves, it's worship. When God humbles us, it's discipline. Purpose of discipline is to lead us to worship. Like I said, one way or the other, we can empty me of me or God will help me emptying me of me so he can fill us up with himself, okay? Now, when we humble ourselves, it is a result of obedience. (laughs) I hate this one. When God humbles us, that's the next one. Go ahead, Amanda, if we can go on to that last one. When we, just read this out loud with me right there, and you can help the preacher preach a good sermon, and we'll be done. You ready? You ready? Here, read it with me. When we humble ourselves, it is the result of obedience. When God humbles us, it's the result of disobedience. Hmm. That is always the case. If you're already worshiping, if you're already humbling yourself, God doesn't say, well, let me just pound you a little bit more. We think he does, but that's not what's going on. See, this is really a whole new level of of functional worship. So how do we apply this? How many can think already of how you'd apply it at your workplace? Think of that person. Think of that person that you just want to pound. That person you work with. Typically, they're doing that. Now, granted, there, there, there may be issues other outside that. But very often when conflict happens, beloved, the first place we need to look is right here. Because stupid will happen in a minute. And stupid most likely happens when I'm advancing my opinion of me above God's opinion of me. When I'm advancing my opinion of the situation above God's opinion of the situation. Or I can invite his worth into the middle of a situation. How do I do that? Worship happens at the speed of humility. Now, there's some here that are going to not like to see it. Sit, everybody look at me because we're done right here. I'm going to have you turn and say it to one another. If you are with your spouse, don't do this, okay? Because I'm going to have you say, worship happens at the speed of humility. And some of you are going to think, Jensen, first of all, you'll pause for a second and then you'll look. Because the slow look and gaining the gaze of the eye means you know who he's preaching to, Okay? (laughs) First thing, don't do that. Second, don't turn your heads sideways. Don't feign all of that because at that moment, you've just lost the pride yourself and ain't nothing good going to come out of that. So an absolute genuine innocence as if there's no possibility that that person you're sitting next to could possibly have violated the things that the only sinner in this room is exclusively Pastor Tom, okay? So with that type of innocence on in your face, I want you to turn and look them in the face and say, worship happens at the speed of humility. Go ahead and tell them that. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.